0: Coming up next on Chapters, we sit down for a conversation with former New England Patriot Chris Sullivan. Chris will share with us the story of his battle with mental health and substance use disorder and the important lessons he's learned along the way. So stay tuned for a conversation with Chris Sullivan coming up next on Chapters. (laughs) Welcome to another edition of Chapters. My name's Jim Derrick, and today in studio, I am joined by Chris and Kathy Sullivan. Welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you, Jim. We're glad to be here.
0: Thanks for coming in.
1: Our pleasure. Sorry I stood you up two days ago.
0: Not at all. Not (laughs) at all. Chris, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you for the first time. I first became aware of you, of course, through your football career, which saw you play for our New England Patriots from 1996 through 2002, appeared in two Super Bowls, and have a Super Bowl ring to show for it. You're a North Attleboro alum, right?
2: I am. Rocketeer. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, tell me, you played uh, how many years for Boston College?
2: Um, I grew up. I was there five. I was redshirted, so right. I played four years. Right,
0: defensive end,
2: defensive end, yep, yeah. defensive tackle. Yeah, I played it. I played outside my first two years yep. at end, and then my last two years, I was mostly a tackle.
0: And uh, you are recognized as being a top prospect in uh, collegiate ball, and wind up being drafted by your own New England Patriots.
2: Yeah, I was fortunate. I had uh, Tom Coughlin. In college, and he was friends with Parcells, so I had kind of an in, and I was their type of player. Wasn't overly athletic, but I was a hard-working kid, so things fortunately, I was very lucky to uh, end up with Coughlin in college.
0: Did you have your eyes set on the <clears throat> NFL from the time you were in high school, or did this something did this evolve over time?
2: I didn't think of the NFL probably until my last year of college. You're kidding me. Yeah, I, I, did, I never thought like that. So it's not one of these
0: stories where you're out in your backyard dreaming with an nope. old Patriots helmet on. and a... Well, first
2: of all, you didn't dream of playing for the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> in the, now, se- that's, in the oh, 80s. You no, know, so I mean, true. they did have their years. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I was a college. I watched college. I always wanted to go to Notre Dame. Well, yeah. Boston College, we had family ties. And then Notre Dame didn't recruit me. Until the end, and um, we ended up beating them. So I I think I beat them three out of five years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, So, so so
0: you you delay any possible dream of going to the NFL until you're a senior in college?
2: I I didn't think like that. Do you think that's part of your success during that Um, period? Maybe. I always had very very low self esteem. I always thought very low of myself. I think that's what drove me. Like, still to this day, I never had a good practice in my mind in my life, even though every coach pointed out everything I did not practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it was told—I self-doubted myself till I went to a few All-Star games. I, I played in the Blue-Grey game, and I remember playing against guys that—they come out of high school All-Americans, mm-hmm. therefore they're always All-Americans, which right. doesn't make sense. I remember being nervous the first day of practice, and then I'm like, these guys are awful. This really? guy's a, this guy's an all-American, basically because he had the name all-American coming out of high school, right? And I was playing against the guys from Alabama Georgia, and Georgia. I'm like, they are not very good, you know. I mean, our you know guys I play with at Boston College are better than these guys, really. And that's kind of when I was like, oh, if this is the best the country has, to... now there's great players, yeah. But it made me realize that, yeah,
0: you're in the mix, yeah, definitely yeah, in the yeah, mix yeah. to say the least, right? Yeah. So, so you get the phone call uh, on draft day from, and what round did you go in? Fourth. Fourth round, yeah. uh, draft pick, and um, the town, I'm sure, is all responding. It's it's Chris Sullivan all the time, right? Well, I, I, I,
2: I think I, I yeah. don't you know I not was, in your mind, but yeah, this was before. You, you have to go back to that time. You might get you got a an um, article in the paper. You know, there wasn't social media and right. all this hoopla. And but I grew um, up around Doug
0: Fluey, yeah, Flutie. Um yeah. I was. He was in Natick. I was in Needham. Yeah. Uh, we had Robbie Ftorek, who was a hockey star in our town, and and they they were legends in the town. They can never do any yeah. wrong. And and um, I was always impressed by both of their humility relative to 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 the stature that they were given in town, and and I I look back in my extensive show prep i actually went back to youtube and looked at some old interviews Uh-oh. of you and you were self-described as being pretty almost belichick like yeah. in your in your demeanor and i could see that coming through but still it, it for me it would go to my head real fast
2: I think, I think you gotta go meet my mother my mother will humble you quick he she was like she was like coughlin on parcels or belichick um very really? tough and how many my father was um didn't say much yeah um great you know, but it was my mother that she kept you humble, huh? Yes.
0: How many siblings mm. do you have?
2: I have an older brother, younger sister.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. I. You know, that's interesting. I met, um, and I'm. I don't mean I'm not name dropping, but I'll do it anyway. Jim Wahlberg and I spoke on a yeah, yeah. down in a Florida. Mm-hmm. And one of the stories that he tells, somebody said, Well, isn't this wonderful the work you and, and Mark are doing for your foundation? And he said, Look, we didn't have a choice. My, our mother would kill us if we didn't <laughs> give our money, any of this money away. Yeah. She, and he wasn't kidding. Yeah. He said, We're Irish Catholic. We're guilty. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? all day. Yeah. Automatically. <laughs> <Yeah>. Automatically. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so you enjoy uh, really great success with the Patriots. Um, you, won a, you, yeah. you won a Super Bowl, you appeared in two. Yep. Um and you played there from ninety six through two thousand one Yeah, I was really. in
2: Pittsburgh for a year and a half in between.
0: Yeah. You talk about that as being a big mistake.
2: Um I had to take myself out there. That was the problem. I was I was kinda sheltered around here. I had struggled um emotionally or mm-hmm. um, my whole life. Mm-hmm. The low self esteem, anxiety, depression, you know, yeah. the whole kind of gamut. But I, I had some sort of Stability. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was someone that isolated my whole life, mm-hmm. didn't talk to people, kind of hid out.
0: Um, and and, and that's, that's where we're headed uh, with the story and mm-hmm. the outreach that you've been doing. <clears throat> and the powerful part about your story, Chris, is your transparency about your struggles with um, anxiety, depression mm-hmm. and addiction and uh, the impact that it had on your life and the lessons learned as someone who works in that field. I can't tell you how grateful I am for your story, because uh, most kids, and I know this won't be a surprise to you, walk around thinking that every professional athlete, anybody that's Hmm. made a name for themselves in anything, has it made, has it all figured out. And you're telling me you're walking around as a professional athlete, a very well-paid professional athlete, with tremendous doubt.
2: Oh, yeah, that was... um On the outside, I looked like I had everything, Mm -hmm. you know, college degree, hardworking kid, um, local kid done good, get to the Patriots. And on the outside, I was 285, 290 pounds. But inside, I was a I was a mess. I was a mental health mess my whole life. Like I was afraid of everything. I was scared to do anything. I isolated. I didn't talk to people. I had self-doubt, you know, but I I thought if I had a physical appearance that looked some way people would stay away from me from asking
0: that kept you in the gym
2: yeah that kept me like i didn't take days off i didn't take vacations i literally the day of the season end, i was working out the next day i never went away i never enjoyed myself and and i look back and it's sad yeah because i had a journey i should be proud of and i am but i missed out on so much wow. like i didn't realize how powerful mental health is like if you don't if you don't get that in check or get some sort of hold of it or some healthy um way of living, that will crush you, right? You know, and I didn't know that, you know, until I got sober. You didn't have any of the tools you needed to face what you're facing. None. What would it have looked like
0: for you as a say a started high school, high school student if you, if Chris Sullivan had raised his hand back in the 80s and said mm-hmm. I need help. What would it have looked like back then? Would you have
2: been I, able to do it? I would have been too scared to do I'm it. Sure. Um, I wish I did it. Mm -hmm. I wish I I found some avenue, some, you know, some way to deal with the stuff I was struggling with Mm -hmm. other than just putting my head down, keeping my mouth shut and hitting the weight room. You know, because I had all these accomplishments and things happen along the way that I didn't enjoy any of them. I I could have cared less if we were going to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, graduate in college, beating Notre Dame when they were number one. You name it, what was going on in my head didn't allow me to enjoy any of it. And it's sad, and I missed out on relationships. I used to watch guys that would be laughing in the morning, hugging their father. Like I was like, what's wrong with them? It's like, that's not normal. Wow, It's not normal to be happy at 6 in the morning. It's not normal to go to take a t- big test and not be sweating. It's not normal just to socialize and hang out with people. Like, mm. I didn't understand that. Mm.
0: Chris, there's a picture of you that really stopped me in my tracks, and I think you show it at some of your uh, talks. On um, media day at the Super Bowl, which is a big, big day, yep. you're sitting in the stands alone, um, and, and it just you look dejected, frankly, yeah. by your body language, and you're not out enjoying the festivities with the rest of the guys.
2: Well... It's funny because I had never, we do put it up at schools and I had never looked at it. Mm -hmm. I had never turned around. And I remember it was like a month ago and I turned around and I was like, in that picture, I was an addict. I was an alcoholic. Right. But that picture was my life. Mm. Like I always, like many people that struggle with addiction, they always feel different. um, Don't feel like they fit. That was my whole life. Right. Like people thought. People hear the story now, and they're like, oh, we didn't know you were struggling. You'd never know. But I was always on the outside looking in. I remind everybody,
0: we're speaking with Chris Sullivan. Chris mm-hmm. Sullivan, the New England Patriots, and importantly, a man li- living in long-term recovery who is sharing his story openly and candidly with the hopes that it'll reach someone who could benefit from hearing this story and will raise their hand and ask for help. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at Chapters Radio. Dot .com Chris and Kathy Sullivan do public speaking to schools, civic organizations, anybody that would like to hear their stories. They're both uh, very unique. We're going to feature Kathy's story on next week's program and you can reach out to Kathy and Chris by going to taylorsmessage.com. That's T A Y L O R S message.com. There's a contact button on there. Reach out and contact them. Read about Taylor's message, read about Kathy and read about Chris on that website. And Chris, you, um, you talk about that isolation in the context of, of addiction, and, and, and you talk about that mental health in the context of addiction, and I find it's so interesting, and I was sharing with, with Chris and Kathy earlier that my only qualifications to be here are lived experience as a dad. So I've been on this, on this um, ride now for the better part of uh, 16, 17 years um, with a uh, loved one that is struggling, And one thing that I keep used to hear a lot was dual diagnosis. We have, you know, we are either a dual diagnosis facility, or we treat mental health, or we treat addiction. But we very rarely was it all one and the same. And what the National Institute of Health has just reclassified addiction officially as a mental health illness, a mental illness. And so your experience, and I know you you know this, is is not unique. Most. People with alcoholism and addiction, and, and frankly, all that I've spoken to directly, mm-hmm. when they share, they share about feeling different than, isolated from, uh, anxious, depressed, self-medicating their way onto addiction, which is why the solution isn't really about the drugs and the alcohol. It's about getting underneath it, right? Well,
2: Absolutely. yeah, that's a, That's the—I um, did have a drug and alcohol problem for eight years, mm-hmm. you know, but— the problem the other 38 years was me. Mm. You know, it wasn't until—and <clears throat> it's an ongoing process. You know, I, I get just over 11 years, and I'm by far perfect. My, you can ask my wife that. <laughs> and it's not like I, if things fix overnight. Right. They're always going to be a struggle for me. I'm always going to battle anxiety. I'm always going to battle these things I've struggled with my whole life. I'm going to battle them to some degree. But it's easier. Yeah. It gets easier. I learn what works, what doesn't. Like I've tried counseling, different medications. Um, I'm going back to counseling. Like yeah. it's 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 a lifelong process. Sure. You know, but but you come to realize life is good, and these things that I struggled with, I can use as a benefit. Yeah. Like I, she's not super anxious. I'm super anxious. That's good for a lot of things. Yeah. Like I get a lot of stuff done.
0: And I say that about A D D all the time. Give me give me someone with A D D and I'll give you someone who's yeah. creative, you know, all the benefits. And it's the same yeah. with what you just said. There's always a, a plus side to everything. Chris, you uh what role did um I, I believe your introduction to opioids or, or was, yeah. was through pain pills, right? And and obviously as a professional athlete. Was that your introduction on the football field?
2: Um no. It was when I started uh running with them, like when I spiraled, well, just I, when you I, had, I had bought it. I had bought them um, off a new friend. Okay, a and new was, friend. Well, I was hanging out with a new group of people. Got it. I had shut everyone. I had been released by the Steelers because I had just had wrist surgery, and those things that I had struggled with my whole life. Yeah, that football was my. At least I had football. It was structure. It was my identity, even though I didn't really. I loved football but I didn't care about like I never understood why people looked up to you and I think maybe because I knew everybody in the locker room like these really aren't great people all the time you know you shouldn't have your kids looking up to some of these people <laughs> yeah but yeah. um the emperor has no yeah clothes. I had yeah. had surgeries before that yeah. but yeah. I had like a schedule I have to get back you know I have to get back in the field I you know I don't want to lose my job you know I get released by Pittsburgh and I I I went to a dark place, mm-hmm. and I shut out like my family, friends. I stopped talking to people. I started hanging out in places I knew I shouldn't have been.
0: Had you been drinking and using other uh, substances prior to this with the Patriots?
2: Um, I was a very uh, occasional drinker yep. in college and the NFL. You know, um, I can tell you I didn't drink much. Uh, guys drank a lot more than me. I always blacked out, though. When you drank, you Yeah, I out. never had a shut-off. So, okay. But my justification was I do it once every three weeks. Right, what's well, a big deal. Yeah. yeah, okay. So you get up,
0: and now you've, you've, you've had this surgery. You're with the Steelers. You're released, yeah. and you're in a really dark spot. And um, these, these take a hold of you?
2: Yeah, I started buying them. Someone offered them to me. I was at a bar in Socket, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um I was like, yeah, why not take them? Sure. And I had taken them before and thrown them away. This is the crazy part. But I was in a... A very vulnerable state at that point in my life yeah and um i took the first one honestly it was a dream come true and it still scares me yeah because like since i can remember i always dreamt of feeling a certain way i used to watch people i always say i i, I wanted to feel like my wife acts she hugs everyone she talks to everyone she loves everyone she looks like she's comfortable on skin yeah and um i found that feeling that day like wow. literally sitting in that um bar after I bought the pills, I was like this Magic. is what I've dreamt about since like third grade, like you hear from a lot of people. I hear it all. And that was it. I hear it all I was the time. done. Like I didn't realize that feeling that feeling every decision I was done. Yeah. You know, I didn't know I'd give up football eight months later, but looking back, like if I'm sitting here now, yeah, I'm gonna give up football. You know, um and you give up everything. And you, you had um a significant—I can only assume—a significant
0: amount of cash on him mm-hmm. because you were paid handsomely for your, yeah, for your ability no, to play professional football. You're a millionaire. Yeah. So you go into this thing with a perfect storm. You got a mental health, unaddressed mental health yeah. uh, issue. You have um, uh, being released from a team. Uh, you're alienated from New England a bit because you just been with Pittsburgh. Um, you're in Woonsocket, and you find the magic. That you've always dreamt of and my god what a what a formula right yeah. so here you go and how long before uh i i always have trouble with this one though honestly chris because people people don't always understand that that opioids uh, that the pills that you're taking are synthetic heroin yeah. um that's all it is yeah, it's yeah. a synthetic opioid so when people say well you've progressed to heroin and it's a dark yeah. place it is it's it's a it's a different uh, version of what you were already doing. And I just want to make it's that clear. It's just a I have trouble with word. It. Right, right no, exactly. Not, yeah. It, it kind
2: of plays, that's my point. I didn't know that at It plays time. into a stigma, no.
0: No, not, not at all. And
2: Because uh, I would never do that,
0: right? Right, right. So, so, you know, and I hear people say, well, you know, uh, sometimes uh, people in recovery even, but usually maybe in very early recovery, they'll say things like, well, I never used a needle. And you think, well... Congratulations! Yeah. You were smoking heroin. I mean, yeah. and right. you've heard this before. Yeah. You're smiling, right? Yeah.
2: Well, the yet. We well, tried yet. It yet. Yeah. well,
1: it's funny because he had always said to me, "Cause he never did the needle. He snorted everything." Yep. But he said, "Kathy, if I hung out with people who did oh, needles, yes. I would have done needles yeah. in a second. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, was, did it I just all by didn't myself. leave my
2: house, so right. like, it's not right. like I was around them. People weren't. Right.
1: There's no difference. Oh, I was right. going to
2: say dead right. is dead, right. and, and it's yeah. just you know. Well, you know, I feel um, extremely fortunate that my run happened when it did right because mm-hmm. that was pre-fentanyl yes mm-hmm. it's early 2000s mm-hmm. i was doing a you know um eight grams a day rub for years
1: i know a thousand dollars a day yeah but
2: i mean about 800 to a thousand bucks a day yeah right but that um you couldn't do that nowadays no, you, you know, I'd it. get the you same amount.
0: Yeah. you know, and just yeah. so along the way, Chris, and um, and and I don't want to just focus on this because this is this is the the, the part that, hmm. but but I think it's important. It gives people context, yeah. right, Absolutely. to be able to understand. Here's a here's someone who had had this wonderful career, um, and and then you, you devolve into this state where you're trying to medicate your way through this, and you've got a habit that that and an addiction that's costing you a thousand dollars a day. There's no real Consequences yet. When was the first tough consequence that you paid? Do you remember? You say, "Whoa, what's going on here?"
2: Um,
1: would have been your DUI. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Twenty two well,
2: thousand. no, I got no, I got back on the team with the Patriots. Okay. After this, yeah. Um, even though I was just taking pills at the time, but um, and we won the Super Bowl, and but it was like the night I got my ring, I got a DUI. It was that night. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. What year was that? 2002 right so it was june right
2: 2002 right after minicamp we got our rings at a place in boston like a, a, a the, fancy hotel and on the way back i got arrested in lexton massachusetts DUI, alcohol um yes yeah yeah but i was it was both i mean i was high yeah um yeah I had, I had left boston went to my cousin's owned a restaurant in um brighton long story short i i thought i was having fun and. Blew a tire after hitting a car and hopped on 128 the wrong way. to only two good tires and drove about 10 miles. And I gave up football about uh, three days later. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to deal with what I had done, mm-hmm. and I had an option. I had another year under contract with the Patriots, and um, just put these pills down and deal with what I've done, and uh, get back in the weight room. And who knows, or keep heading down the path I was heading, and the pills were more important to me than 23 years of football. Because you've got the disease known as addiction. Yeah.
0: And, and that's taken over. And so, and one of the things that I hear in your story is, I mean, here's somebody who had every reason in the world to put these pills down, including a fat paycheck and the potential to have another how who knows how much longer in the NFL. And despite those, that overwhelming flashing green light that says, dude, this is the absolute right way to go. Yeah. yeah. Addiction takes hold and the pills become paramount to that. And um, I was talking to someone in long term recovery, uh, a friend of mine, and he was telling me that I, I was trying to I asked him, what's it like? You know, what's it like to be a heroin addict? Right. And he said, nah. he says, try not to blink. Just think or, or try not to swallow. And when you feel that overwhelming urge and you can't stand it and you swallow, that's what it feels like. Or yeah. try not to breathe. Right. I mean, it's like it. A it be, and, and did it feel that way to you, like a, a need for the compulsion, the obsession?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah, like was getting clean. Yeah. It's and it's it, it's um it's hard to explain. It hijacks your brain. Nothing matters. Absolutely nothing matters. It doesn't matter who's in your life, whether you love them. Um, Care about them more than anything. They take the second, you know, their second fiddle to anything going on. Like it, the the situations I put people in that I I cared about in a million years, I would never do. Right. You know, um, your family. Not not yeah. my family. Sorry but wrecked. but I think specifically more. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time of two young kids. Like the situations I put kids in, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, I hurt my mother and father, and everyone was mad at me. But driving drunk with them—just the insane stuff they had to watch—like I, I get sick to my stomach thinking about it. Mm. But that's what—that's what addiction does, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's not just a just stop thing. Right. It's like everyone is like, just stop. And I thought, um, I thought because I could deal with physical pain my whole life, like I thought I was physically strong. That I always thought I could just get clean, you know what I mean? Because I could deal with pain and injuries, and I thought that's what tough was. Right. You know, I, I didn't know it was a lot tougher to overcome emotional pain than physical. I want to remind everyone, we are speaking with former New England Patriot Chris
0: Sullivan and his wife Kathy. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com. And importantly, Chris and Kathy speak to schools, civic organizations, anyone who would benefit from hearing their message. And you can reach them at taylorsmessage.com. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-S message.com. On that page, you'll see both of their stories, descriptions of their public speaking, and also a link to Facebook, Twitter, and their email, Chris. You describe uh, your Super Bowl ring as being something that well, I'll let you describe it. What what you've got? You've got a couple of important things in your life that you carry with you yeah. probably regularly, and one of them you're reaching into your pocket right now.
1: And know it's right. funny, Jim, though, not to interrupt you, but when he just pulled that out, and we're on radio so they can't see. Your audience probably believes it's the Super Bowl ring he pulled out, right? You know, so they don't have any idea what he's actually got in his hand. Exactly. You know, so, so tell them what well, you on. Well, the had, scary honey.
2: part is, so I got <laughs> my sobriety, my 11-year sobriety chip with me, my Super Bowl ring. It's actually in my truck. Probably not locked right now. Um, truthfully. I just thought of it. I was like, it's actually.
0: Folks, folks we're not live. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> so don't come down to the parking lot looking for the Sullivan Mobile. <laughs> I think
2: it's locked. Yeah. Um, and that's. That's a. Gr- I'm sorry. I love It's that. crazy. But I love it's the it is. like literally. Saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's rolling of, around on your. kind of a hidden yeah. compartment. Actually, yeah.
0: if you see it, it's it's on the
2: uh rearview yeah. mirror, yeah. hanging yeah. along no with the No one believes yeah. it's a ring kaleidoscope yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, and that hey, that thing means a lot to me. Of course, um, my life changed when I get the night I got that, and I got arrested. Like, yeah, I see twenty three years of or twenty two years or twenty three years of hard work, like and discipline, and I I put everything I had into football. Yeah. Like, the only thing I'm really proud of is not that ring and it's not the NFL. Like, I, if I had to go back and do it all over again, I don't know if I could. I went full speed every day of my life in practice. So I never even took a playoff. Like, I think back and it's exhausting. You know, but that's why coaches really like me. That's why I played instead of other people. Like, I don't know if I could b- go back and physically do that. Um, but it also, it's where my life turned, and in I struggled with the. You know, I gave up football three days after um, getting that ring. Yeah. And then a new chapter. Right. You know, you talk about peaks and valleys, right? What you'd think was the top, you know, um, really wasn't my top. You know, even though I went into addiction, like I had been struggling my whole life. You know, my the the best. Part of my life um, in my 46 years is now, and that's crazy. You know, I've had super, You know, what people thought would be a top, but... It's
0: not crazy to yeah. me, and, and one of the reasons why I love the story and the fact yeah. that you're holding your 11-year chip in your hand and not your Super Bowl ring, um, because, I look, I mean, we're only on this planet for a relatively short yeah. time, you know, and all the outside stuff that people tell us that we buy into. So for me, my version of the Super Bowl... My version of the NFL was a four-bedroom colonial, yeah. mm-hmm. okay? So I started my own business and started working, and that was the only thing yeah. I was focused on. I'll be happy when I get there. Eight pounds, I was never happy, bedrooms, I was never happy where I was sitting, <laughs> okay? I was never happy where I was sitting. I would mm-hmm. always be happier when I get there. And then once I got there, I had to be, get something else to be happy with. What I didn't realize was I was filling my life by reaching for something outside of myself to try to make myself internally yeah. happy. <laughs> and that is a fool's game. I don't care whether it's the NFL or whether it's Bruce. Listen, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. I read everything and listen to everything he does. I'm reading his book. Holy smokes. You talk about anxiety and depression. That's the only reason why the guy plays for four hours is because he didn't want to leave the stage because he was so anxious and so depressed he didn't want to go home when he was a kid. makes sense. And it never stopped. He still does it. So we're all just human beings on this planet. And so everything you say makes total sense. But here's the point. Most of us, including myself, don't get the message until somebody like a Chris Sullivan. You know, it's part of a it's part of a process. It's an evolution. So you hear somebody talk about it. You have the opportunity now to address kids and young adults, people like me. But I mean, younger kids. And you're doing that work now. You're going out into schools and talking directly. And what is the message to the
2: kids? Um, don't think it can't happen to you yep you know and and i think obviously you know our big thing is the you know the prevention you know you hope you put a thought in a kid's head because they're all going to be in these circumstances where they're around pills they're around you know different choices like maybe they'll hopefully you put a thought in there Mm -hmm. maybe i shouldn't do this you know um
1: and also to know that the struggles that they're feeling within their own head it's
2: well they have it i mean they they have it worse than us with all the you know everything going on and it's not okay to it's okay to struggle with stuff as long as you talk about it talk to someone you know my i i did a i did that a a tv show that my wife put me on and um (laughs) It's a long up. story, but, but I felt the bad after the, my mother watched. It's a national show, and she's like, I didn't know, like, she was crying. Right. This was, like, a few months ago, and I'm right. like, "This, it's nothing you did. right?" Like, I showed no, um, you would have never known how I, f- knew how I felt. Yeah. Like, I came home, I did my homework, I ate dinner, maybe I smiled, maybe I didn't, and it- and that's how I lived my life. And
0: your like, mood was stable. You were just yeah, doing your job. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Chris, your powerful message is also that, I, and I, you said it earlier, is raise your hand and ask for help. It's something you wish you'd done. Yeah. And when we speak to high schools, uh, Derek Getchell's, um, someone who's in recovery and he's 31 years old. Yeah. Shout out to Derek. He just got, uh, his first Division Two job as a coach. Damn. No, he's gone yeah. to, uh, Bentley. Okay. Bentley, but one of the B's. Anyway, Derek, um, when we speak in high schools um he talks a lot about what you talk about how he just didn't feel right in his own skin and he was this star athlete he was doing everything right and he looked good on the outside but he was miserable inside and he wishes he'd he'd raised his hand and asked for help it's astounding to me as someone that sits in those halls when he's giving the talks to see the line of kids waiting to talk to him and a lot of the stories i mean It's amazing how many kids talk about their mental health challenges and thoughts of suicide. And teen suicide is skyrocketing Skyrocketing. right now. Skyrocketing, yep. We have to do a better job at lifting people like you up, putting them in front of kids Mm -hmm. and saying, that's your model there. Forget all the noise on social media and everything. That's the model. Listen to what they wish that they had done. And model that behavior of what they wish they'd done ask for help before you yeah it's too late
2: you know one of the big things for us is um the more we've done it it's like there's two major things you know a lot of kids are like me they just unfortunately don't believe in themselves right like and on the flip side you know there's another whole group of kids that just have never had anyone that's believed in them Mm -hmm. you know and the sad part and it's kind of sad but Sometimes you can do a whole talk, and what changes a kid may be just a hug from her. I hug a little bit. Keep or just to. like a, what changed my life was literally people in meetings. It wasn't like thinking back to this great speech, um, you know, whatever Coach Parcells gave. or Like I saw, like you talked about, I saw hope and felt hope for the first time in my life in those meetings with the people that for the majority of my life I thought I was different than Yeah. Like I didn't they grew up bad. They got bad parents, different, the wrong, they're from the wrongs. They're from hey, hey <laughs> right, right, right. i wife's <laughs> from Adderboro. But you know what I mean? Like it was the first time in my life like I felt hopeful was listening to people in meetings and like change my life. That's why I'm forever grateful. Like I feel so lucky to go to the meetings. I was sitting in my men's meeting last night, you know, and it's, it's a hundred guys. And it's so humbling to, it, I go to is.
0: open meetings uh, sometimes with friends in yeah. recovery. And it, I, I've sat there on a Sunday morning before with guys, you know, you get bikers, you get guys on, on probation. You've got uh, bankers, you've got lawyers, yeah. you yeah. could have you a professional yeah. athlete. You're all in there yeah. and in that hall. They're all one. All There's the no chair is higher than another one. Yeah. And Absolutely. um but I've often thought as traffic's going by, if people on the outside knew what yeah. was happening in this hall, they'd feel a lot more hopeful about this world. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Right? Well they they need to see that rather than the articles written in the paper, you know, because hey, listen, the people in the halls are wonderful as long as they're sober, you right. know, because they do stuff to feed their habit. Yep. Or their addiction or the alcoholism. They do bad things. And I did it and you know, but um, I don't think people know enough what really happens in there, in the rooms. And it's like, it's amazing because these people don't ask for anything back. Exactly. Like it was given to them and they give it back. And that's still like, it blows my mind. They call the big
0: book of Alcoholics Anonymous, The Design for Living. And, yeah. and I uh, I can tell you that that's been my experience. It's a wonderful tool. Mm. And um boy, if I could it would be part of a curriculum or something, and I know I'm probably speaking outside of the tradition here by saying that because it's certainly not a program of recruitment, but um, but it, 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 it it's always humbling to me to speak with people in recovery their transparency their honesty and i think everybody needs recovery from something they do it's yeah. the bottom everybody my,
1: is recovering everybody from thank you they or not one, well from something or right. they're not exactly or they're not. it's a yeah. conscious yeah. They decision get on, they
2: get on the wheel. He you know what's funny naturally. like i go we we go to schools and like eight years ago i was like all right i can do this because i saw the good coming out of it it wasn't something i just volunteered to do mm-hmm. first of all i'm very like kind of humble and I kind of keep to myself and I had dropped out of classes because I had to speak. Like I used to like walk, like I'd be three quarters of the way through. I disappear. Right. You know, and still to this day, it's hard for me. I'm that's not the type of person that's going to feed off. It. Right. Like I don't go in there and walk out feeling like a million bucks and it's Nailed not a, one. <laughs> yeah. It's not a hard topic for me to talk about. Right. Um, it's just, I am um, super uncomfortable in front of people, but I think that's a, I can use that to my advantage like I used to always prepare like, I don't I've never really written anything down because I want to be authentic like, it's always different what I say um, but it's crazy to think like they put my name and speaker next to it and I still giggle like yeah, it doesn't make it's because I don't speak outside of like I sit in the back of my meetings every I, people told me you have to sit up front and you won't stay sober in the back so I'm like I'm not a rule breaker, but I'm like, I can hear the same back here. Right. You know, and I don't talk a ton. And I mo- might not get called on, yeah. But I'll tell you, I listen to absolutely everyone. Yeah.
1: Right. But no, it's funny. You said that you feel very uncomfortable when you speak. People would never see that. Bingo. It's not what they see. When they would have seen it
2: six years ago. No, I, I just, still think you looked good. It's just, I've, it's helped me work on myself. And like, you know, those things I had always struggled with. Yeah, I'm better. I'm still anxious. But now i know how to breathe i work out in the morning um you pray i pray <laughs> I, like she's out front she hugs every person <laughs> And honestly, well, I, I love that about you, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, no, honestly, when we're in a school, I greet people at the door right. of the auditorium. Yeah. They don't know I'm the presenter. Sure. And I just talk about the girl's hair, the bun, the yeah, long hairs, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I connect with the kids beforehand. Yeah. He, he's always on the bottom. Sure. You know, but that energy that I get from greeting the people is what gets me up there and makes it happen. Part of I'm what in makes you guys
0: unique yeah. and, and, and you can play off of each other. But, Absolutely. Chris, I, it's so great that you use the word authentic so i went home after meeting you guys at our open house yeah. and i said to my wife i was excited that i met yeah. you both and, you know. I, and i said you won't believe this i met taylor's mom yeah after all these years and chris sullivan he used to play with the patriots this and that i on a bible yeah. i said the guy is authentic
1: absolutely there are
0: people that do public speaking <laughs> where you know that they've rehearsed they've yeah. they've done it when you meet somebody who has the humility to say I don't like doing this. It's yeah. really hard for yeah. me. And yeah. and they can just be honest and unrehearsed. It changes everything. It and, does. And it makes them more believable, more approachable, and frankly, more appealing yeah. um, to true. audiences. It's kind of a, a yin and a yang.
1: It allows them to be authentic.
0: Yeah. If that well, well, that's right. It, it gives a permission right. to, to a kid to say, you know, I don't feel right. good either. Right. You know, because what kid go, by the way. What fourteen year old or fifteen year old is sitting in high school saying, I got this licked? Most people are sitting there going, I wonder if my hair is okay. Did I put yeah. on any deodorant? You know, did yeah. I do I have mm-hmm. a zit? Everyone's uncomfortable in high school. So if someone like Chris comes along and says, I'm uncomfortable right now. Not,
1: and he looks like this. And he looks you know, like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, He's actually yeah. sweating a little bit, too. He's
1: always a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, thank you, Chris. Oh, thank you. So much. And thank you, Kathy, for being here. We will be featuring uh, Kathy Sullivan on ne- next week's program to speak about uh, Taylor's message and Taylor's story. Very, very powerful. You won't want to miss that. If you want to reach Chris and Kathy Sullivan, please go to taylorsmessage.com. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-S message.com and you'll find their contact information there. So for my guests, Chris and Kathy Sullivan, my name's Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters, and I'll see you next week.